There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Morning all, I'll be asking... A question of you later this morning. Well, a couple of questions, actually. One, what do you think of this idea to start giving out AstraZeneca vaccines to younger people to get them vaccinated faster? We'll get a scientific view, but I want yours. But something else to think about. And I like this idea. Um, Who does the housework in your house? Who does most of it? How are the chores divided? How is it split? Like, does he cut the grass and does she wash the children's clothes? Or is it the other way around? Does he wash the children's clothes and does she cut the grass? The Central Statistics Office has come up with a whole load of new figures. That's just one of them. And uh, part of it looks at the division of labour in the house. And kind of makes sense. There are things that he does. There are things that she does. Sometimes they share and cross over. But for the most part, he's got his stuff and she's got her stuff. And you know what? It's all grand. It's all fine. There's no big deal. That'll come uh, later on this morning. We'll be talking to a statistician from the CSO where they put those figures together. But first of all, on this uh, Thursday morning, the morning after Bonner Night, it was there was no major incident, I don't suspect, because we're not hearing too much about huge amounts of damage or any personal property being destroyed. We're not hearing about it. If we're not hearing about it and it happened to you, of course, you know where we are. 1850-715-996. But Cork City Fire Services had about 50 incidents overnight, callouts on Bonner Night, including one at the Sunset Ridge in Killeen's. Let's catch up with Victor Shine from Cork City Fire Brigade. Victor, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Is is St. John's Eve or Bonner Night, is, is it kind of on the wane now? 
Um, no, it was actually uh, quite busy last night. Um, but comparing to other years, uh, we didn't have the same uh, uh, complications that we did in the last number of years. People are more organised, they're more respectful. Uh, but in total, um, from 5 o'clock yesterday evening until the early hours of this morning, we had just under 70 calls to the bonfires. And as you correctly said, we had a commercial fire at the Sunset Ridge and we had some oil spills and some road traffic collisions as well during the evening. And would these be ordinary bonners set up that just got out of control or were threatening premises or what? Yeah, um, I must uh, compliment the Cork City Council's uh, staff for uh, taking a lot of material away um, yesterday early from some of the larger bonfires and disposing of that material before it was set alight. And then you had um, the, the smaller type bonfires uh, being set around the city in various parts of the city. But what was an interesting fact, there were queues of cars with trailers <laughs> queuing to put materials on these bonfires. I thought it was a, a bit strange. Really? Wow. Crikey. Well, so, ordinary uh, refuse and stuff or what? Yeah, materials at cars with trailers queuing up to put materials on bonfires. But... Again, our colleagues, the Garda and the uh, public order units were quickly on the scene and dispersed that kind of carry-on as well. So uh, a cooperation between City Council, the Garda and ourselves made it a, uh, an exceptionally good night, um, mm. no major issues, and um, it went off without any major complications. In, in previous years, Victor, you and I and your colleagues have spoken about crews being um, facing hostile crowds when they arrive. Any of that? Um, no, not really. That's what I'm saying. It, it has improved dramatically. Uh, the respect for the fire service and uh, other services as well have, have improved. So I think um, the COVID may have helped that as well. So the council had some other initiatives last night for um, what traditionally used to be the organised bonfires. So um, with the planning and the, the efforts put into uh, controlling and monitoring and dealing with these fires, it, it went off very well. Good. Um, what happened at the Sunset Ridge, Victor? Was it a serious incident? Um, it was a fire inside the Sunset Ridge Hotel property itself. Uh, the crews had to make a forcible entry into deal with the fire, but it was quickly brought under control. And um, all I could say is the Guardi are probably investigating it to uh, determine the, the cause of the fire. Yeah, is it too early to suggest whether it was deliberate or not, or does that await a report? I suppose that needs to be uh, awaiting a report. There would have been no uh, power or fuel supplies in the building at the time. Yeah, it's been, it's been derelict for quite some time. All right, thank you very much, Victor. And again, thank you for the work of you and your colleagues uh, to keep us safe on a night like Bonfire Night. Nearly 70 calls, but thankfully none of the, to use the old word, none of the blackguarding that used to go on in recent years. I'm always dreading being here on the 24th of June and hearing about stones being thrown at fire brigade, that kind of thing. Didn't seem to happen last night, which is thankfully we're moving forward in that regard. Now let's talk more about the the fire at the Sunset Ridge which was once one of Cork's best hotels. It was a very, very popular place and as, a, as a jobbing DJ. We all played there uh, in the 90s and even into the I suppose I probably was there in the early noughties I would have been in there in the early noughties yeah. but it's uh, it's been lying idle and derelict for years there was a plan I think Councillor Ken O'Flynn there was a plan at one stage to, to do an apartment block but, but that never came to fruition and it's just lying there now for years good morning well, good morning Peter how are you um, 
look, you are you're right. You're you're talking that there was a various set of plans put forward by by I think two different developers. Um, planning permission was granted, and there was other things um, proposed, uh, but nothing ever came to fruition. There, you are talking about a decade now of dereliction in the Killeen's area, mm. and you know I pass it every day. As you know, my mother and father only live up the road from it. Um, uh, you know, and it's always sad to pass it. Because, it's a sad shell of what know, was once a great place. It was, yeah. My mum and dad had a wedding there, actually, and an awful lot of family celebrations over the years were done there. And, you know, I think people of the north side have loads of stories about the Simpson Ridge and either weddings or, or, yeah. or, or 21st. Or confirmation, yeah, yeah. 21st, the yeah. whole lot, you know. And everybody seems to know the Cronin family that ran it since 1969. And, you know, it was a great spot and it was always where you'd meet 90% of the north side, you know, you'd, you'd see them and mm. it was all our family occasions. I, I look, I, I suppose, I think about a year ago I met with residents in the Killeen's area who were very concerned about the security of the building, who were very concerned about the antisocial behaviour that mm. was drawing to the building. There's been several attacks in the building, there's not mm. a window left in the place. I'll be honest with you, PJ, it really does look like, um, I, I don't know if you've seen the show of Chernobyl uh, on, on, it on Netflix. <laughs> it looks like one of those Probably a stretch, been, but I, I, you know, I get your point. It looked, it does, it I, I haven't like been past it now, and I'd say yeah. the best part of a year, but yeah. it looks yeah, like, When did it close? I, was it was it around the early, just around the middle noughties, I think, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think of about 2009, 2010, that direction, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember you playing an engagement party there in around 2006. Yeah, I was a, look. It was a great spot, and I'm sure there's plenty of people now listening and thinking, "God, we had great nights inside there," and there was great nights inside there, and the, you know, and it, and it was a, it was lovely how the entire building was ran by the family. It was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And is so it on the derelict site lists now? Uh, look, uh, a year ago, I asked for that to be included in the derelict sites uh, list because I was very concerned about it and the security of it and the antisocial behaviour that it was dragging. And who it. owns it at the moment? Uh, there's a developer that owns it, or a gentleman who's he's in business who's, who owns it um, not long after the uh, Cork City Council wrote to them when we took over that part of, uh, when that became part of the city we wrote to the uh, owner of the site and uh, I understand then that the signed sale agreed went up on it so we were all expecting something to happen with this I don't know whether that was um, whether there was a sale agreed whether there ever was a sale uh, on the building around the three acres of land there but nothing has been done inside there and it's it's going from bad to worse like this was an accident waiting to happen or or I, I, I look from what I understand I came upon it last night I was coming home from I, I, I did a drive-by of a couple of because I had a couple of calls to make to people around the north side last night I did a drive-by then with uh, regarding the bonfires Actually, in fairness, the guards are out in force. Our own teams in the Cork Fire Brigade were fantastic. Uh, and most people seem to be enjoying themselves and behaving themselves, actually, at the bonfires, in fairness. But I, I was coming back through Killeen's uh, last night, came upon it, uh, parked up, spoke to some of the firefighters, spoke to these two girls who had actually rang it in. They must have been... I didn't get their names, actually. Mm. But there were two young young ladies, I'd say 13, 14, that, that way, um, who rang it in. And they had said to me that there was a big group of young people in the building earlier that uh, right. that evening, yeah. so you know we can draw our own conclusions. Ah, uh, yeah. But I, I guess what, what, what's important, know. though, I think at this stage, Ken, look, you know what happened will emerge. I guess in the fullness, yeah. but you believe firmly that it needs to be taken into charge. Look, I mean, I, 
PJ, if you're, if this is going on all up and down the country. People are getting planning permission on sites, and if they don't agree with it or they don't like it, they're saying to themselves, I'll leave it rot. Well, we, we don't know now that someone's done that. We don't know that someone has done that. Site, but it's happening all over the country. Yeah. And if something is standing derelict for the last 10 years, when you could build houses, when you can build apartment blocks, when you can build, when, when there's a need for it, yeah. somebody said there are people sitting on sites all over the country that aren't developing it. And it's about time now that government and local authorities were given enough power by the government that we have a move it or lose it policy. That you either secure your site, make it perfect that it's, that it's safe, or you, and it can't be left in that state of dereliction for such a long period of time. Okay. And you know the reality, PJ, if you can't afford to develop it, there'll be somebody else come along and develop it. Well, there's I, plenty of other people out there. Well, what I think you're saying is required now is for the council to intervene and speak yeah. with the developer and say, look, what plans do you have? They're, they're exactly the same as what we had to do in North Main Street. If, if you're not going to develop it, if you're not going to fix it up, if you're not going to make it safe for the neighbourhood, we have to step in. Okay. And All right. Of it. CPO it, maybe? I, I look, I'd love to see, I'd love to see us take over that site, or I'd love to see somebody take over that site and reinvent it. It's a prime piece of real estate. All right. Okay. Thank you very much, Councillor Ken O'Flynn. I remember the last time that I was there, and it was racking my brains for a second. You know, D- James Wade, the darts player. He's up there in the top ten in the world. I remember the last event that I was out there for was a charity darts night involving James Wade. Uh, I was MC and did music and stuff like that. That's the last night I was out there. That would be in, I would have said, the mid, the mid noughties. The mid noughties. Happy, mammy, most, so many people have happy memories of the Sunset Ridge. Weddings, 21sts, engagement parties, christenings, confirmations. It was a great place in its time. And the food, lads, I could be here all day talking about how good the food was. But look at it now, it's a sad, sad shell of what it used to be. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. 96FM. Ashling says, In my day, it was a night all the neighbours came out, the kids and all, and got together, knocking on doors, looking for the wood and the stuff, cutting down trees. Oh, it was fun times. And then the council came and changed it all. Bring back those days. They weren't too long ago. Tis true, Ashling. They weren't too long ago. But I'm not too sure they were such a dreamland either. Because there was furniture and old fridges and stuff got thrown on some of them bonfires. And they got dangerous. Let's call a spade a spade here. However, 1850-715-996. Interesting survey. They call it the Pulse Survey. Uh, do the CSO and, and I'm thinking it's because maybe they're taking the pulse of the nation at a given time and they focus on a number of things one of them being the division of housework and I said we'd take a look at its contents for a while with Brian Cal, who's a statistician at the Central Statistics Office the survey's out in the last couple of days Brian good morning Good morning PJ uh, how are you? I'm good thank you Is am I right is that uh, the taking the pulse of the nation is that the sense of it? Exactly. So our, this uh, pulse survey is kind of a new departure for the, the CSO. Um, so our normal household surveys, they're really important to households who participate in them. 
um, really need to respond to us about uh, really important things like income and employment and well-being. But this Pulse survey is open to everybody in the in the public, um, so it was uh, it was posted up on our social media channels, so everybody got the opportunity to to reply to it. Well, so, how, about it, how many did? Like, is this a big sample? So, uh, ten and a half thousand was, uh, what, uh, was the response we got, which we were uh, delighted with. And this one was about uh, life at home. So as you kind of mentioned in your introduction, uh, division of uh, tasks in the household and how different cohorts of people uh, get on at home, I suppose. You know, most houses, I would have suggested, and I think the, the figures bear it up, most houses they were where there's a man and a woman he does certain things, she does certain things. Sometimes there's a crossover. But in general, everything between the two of them, everything tends to get done. The survey bears that out. Uh, yeah, it, it seems to. All right. So in uh, in couples, uh, in opposite sex couples, um, uh, women are most uh, more likely to do household chores. So 65% of women say that they're uh, mostly responsible for doing the household chores while uh, 9% of, of, of the male respondents said that they were mostly responsible for, for doing the household chores. Uh, but men's, 65% of men said that they were mostly responsible for doing home and garden maintenance. Mm, mm. So you can see that those uh, those tasks were, were split between the, the, the genders there. Mm. But interestingly, uh, financial decisions around savings and borrowings and uh, and uh, investments, they were more, more, much more balanced in those, in those decisions. So uh, both uh, men and women, uh, 62% of respondents of both men and women said that those type of decisions were balanced in, the, in their partnership. In same-sex households, then, the division is interesting. Yeah, so uh, there, there seems to be a difference uh, in the balance between same-sex and opposite-sex uh, uh, couples or respondents living with a same-sex partner, opposite sex partner. So for household chores um, and for um, a home and garden maintenance, uh, same-sex couples uh, reported having a more balanced division of, uh, of uh, these chores, uh, these tasks. But for uh, financial decision-making, it was uh, opposite-sex couples that reported having more balanced uh, division uh, mm. when it came to those type of decisions. Now, Reading further down into the survey, uh, one finding that's I, I found quite sad of of lone parents, single parents, uh, that sixty percent of them practically reported feeling lonely a lot or most of the time. Uh, yes, that's uh, that's what we uh, got, and that kind of compares to. Um, uh, those living alone, which is 17% of those living alone felt lonely all or most of the time. And those uh, in house share, so uh, 44% of those who were sharing in, in a rented accommodation with, with others were also feeling, reported feeling lonely. That's an interesting difference there, Brian, to pick up on that. You said 17% of those who live alone reported loneliness, but nearly 6 out of 10 of lone parents, in other words, live alone with a child or more or children. But that's an interesting contrast, isn't it? If you just choose to live alone, you're okay for the most part. But if you actually are alone with a couple of kids, there's much more loneliness going on there. Mm, yes, and the those living alone, actually uh, uh, a third or just over uh, one in three said that they would actually prefer to, to live with someone else in the, in the household, uh, So, which is another interesting kind of angle on, mm. on it. Now, 
was this the first time that you ever looked at gender identity? Because the number of people, and if it's 10,000 responded, then this is a very big sample. Only 0.6% who answered that question said that their gender identity differs to the sex they were born with. Uh, yes, so, so you are cor- correct. This is the first time we're asking uh, uh, this question in the, in the CSO. So it's. Um, and it would it have been anonymised enough that that's a, pe- a question people would have been comfortable answering, for example? Well, uh, the CSO guarantees, guarantees confidentiality, right. so and there's no personal um, uh, personal details collected from those those respondents. So we can, can never identify who those uh, those people are. So uh, confidentiality is, is guaranteed um, here. So we hope we are uh, in. We hope we're able to make people feel comfortable to answer these uh, personal questions quite uh, truthfully. And um, so, uh, as you as you said, zero point six percent of respondents said that their gender identity was uh, differed from the sex that they were registered at birth. And I suppose we just uh, uh, did a lot of research in uh, how those that question should be asked to measure uh, this type of uh, mm. information. Well, and was it, there an age disparity there? Do, were, uh, because uh, because the um, the numbers are the the percentage of respondents reporting this is so low, uh, we weren't be able to break it down by any other kind of characteristic okay. by age or by anything. Okay, so in other words, I wouldn't have put, if, if I was setting out to do your survey, for example, I wouldn't have put my age in, like even the not point. You, you would, but we, we just uh, won't be able to report on that age breakdown. Uh, because there's there's too few. Okay, okay. So it's quite 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 small. So you you don't you don't actually realise if or you don't know. Is there a trend internationally? Um, I'm I'm not aware of the mm. international uh, statistics uh, uh, on this, um, mm. and especially uh, collected through this uh, through this means. So I, I suppose this question is. Uh, uh, being tested for future surveys like the the census where a, a broader um, yeah. uh, this question can be asked of a, a, a greater number of people okay. in the population. No, it's just it, it's, I, I was surprised to see how small the return was. Uh, yeah, interesting. All right, Brian, yeah, thank you. And, yeah. uh, sorry, yeah, I suppose this poll survey, it's it's uh, it's open to the public, but it's it's not a representative sample of of everybody. So it's only the the people who responded that were reflecting mm. in in the survey. Well, so it's not like finding ten thousand uh, people through your social media platforms. It's reasonably yes, reasonably no, we're random. De- de- delighted, yes, but it, I suppose it's just a different methodology to our normal household survey. How would it differ from your normal survey? Uh, so I suppose uh, a normal household survey would uh, choose households uh, across the country to, that would uh, be representative of the whole population. While it, this is being open to the public, uh, people self-select so they choose if they want okay. to participate or not. So uh, it's, uh, the house, household surveys would be represent. Can we can I suppose infer to uh, how it yeah. represents the whole population? Well, and this may be a totally weird question. Was there any particular platform from which you got more response to your social media? Um, I, I'm not sure of the the platform that uh, that got the most response. We were active across uh, Facebook and Instagram and, and and Twitter and a few few other platforms, and it was uh, live on our website as well. Right. I, I don't know uh, uh, which uh, which channel uh, drove okay. the the most uh, amount of. 
just thinking about it. Finally, Brian, before I let you, when is the next full census? Uh, the the next, next census is in um, uh, 2022. Okay. So, uh, next year. It, it was uh, yes, exactly. Okay. All right. We look forward to hearing about that. Brian, thank you very much. Brian Cahill, a statistician at the Central Statistics Office. Let's look at that one, though, about the, the housework. Like, who does what in, in your house? Are there arguments? Like, does he always cut the grass while she always washes the kids' clothes? Or, or is it the other way around? Does he cook more while she might look after the, the car, say? Or taking the car to the mechanic? Or is everything mixed and matched? And which do you prefer? Are you okay with the idea that, well, that's what he does and that's what she does and we help each other out whenever we can? Or should it be a case of, well, actually, he should be doing more, she should be doing more. Like, does housework cause arguments in your house? Do you feel, for example, that he should do more? Do you feel that she should do more? Have our attitudes to to housework changed? I was only remarking last night. We were, or the other night, we were talking about it at home. I had no idea this survey was coming up, but on the program, we were just saying, like when I I didn't, I literally left home to get married. You know, that was what I, I left home literally to get married. So I never had to kind of fend for myself. So for the first five years or more probably more, of my marriage, I was learning how to do things I'd never done before. I still can't cook to save my life. Best thing you can ever say about anything I've ever cooked is nobody's ever ever died. But I had no idea how to manage a house. None that ever was. So therefore, when, when, when I got married, I had to, re- I had to learn all these things. I wonder how many, how many fellas are like that. I, yeah, I was a lazy bugger. That's what I was. But the division in our house now is fairly serious. It's fairly, along fairly distinct lines. Um, how would it be in your place? 1857 1857 with the new Explore Cork app, a Cork County Council initiative. The perfect way to plan your staycation in Cork. On Cork's 96 FM. For someone who's heard me tell the story, which I might tell again if people want me to, have you learned to feed the right twin yet? <laughs> More comments coming in on that and I'll get to them. But uh, the, the very interesting story that we have been kind of keeping tabs on showbiz story. You know, it's just a celebrity showbiz story, but it's a court case. It's Britney Spears' court case. And we we delved in a little while back to the sad story of Britney Spears and how massive a pop star she was. And the whole world at her fingertips, and she's worth like $60 million, so she's not short of a book. But remember that her life fell apart a few years back. She had a, a breakdown. Well, ever since then, she's been in what's called a conservatorship. It's court-ordered. 
and her personal affairs and her finances have been overseed under this order since, since 2008. And it's generally her dad, Jamie, has been overseeing every element of her life and career since. Now, she's 39 and she's in good health these days and she's in a relationship and she wants to have a child and get married and all these things. But she can't. She can do nothing. Really, she has no control over her life or no control over her money per 60-odd million dollars. She has no control over it without literally getting permission. And she wants out. She wants out of that. And that court case uh, has finally come before the courts in Los Angeles, Los Angeles Superior Court. And she said, I deserve to have a life. I've worked my whole life. I deserve to have a two to three year break. She's now refusing to gig. She hasn't gigged since 2018. And she told the judge, Judge Penny, that she wants it to end without further medical assessment. Melissa Carton is a journalist with Her.ie. And like many of us have been kind of quietly following this one for a couple of years. Morning, Melissa. Good morning. It is a sad story because at the time when she had that breakdown, she really wasn't in control of herself. But now she is. She seems fit and well. She can't get out from under this. And she's in court to try and... What's the, what's the feeling? Is the feeling that she will get out of it? Well, it's hoped, especially for those like from the Free Britney movement who've been advocating for people to pay attention to what's been happening to her for the last few years. And even when experts were interviewed on American news sites and on American news channels, they were saying it's very unusual for such a young person to be under a conservatorship for so long. They're usually elderly people who would have conditions like dementia. So it's strange that she's under it for so long to begin with. There since two thousand and eight, like that's that's eleven years. We forget that, that's, and she seems to be quite fit and well now. Yeah, um, she's like she's been doing her Las Vegas residency. She's been putting that album. She's been working consistently. So if she's able to work, like surely she's able to make decisions over her own life, like getting married. She yeah. can't even have her boyfriend drive her in a car. Yeah, she has to use birth control apparently in case she'd get pregnant. She's not even allowed to have a child under this thing. No, she's like literally no control over her body. She's had um, an IUD implanted and she can't have it removed without her father's permission. And that's a, an insane level of control, isn't it? Um, massively insane. And it's so invasive as well that she can't have control literally over her own body. Hmm. How long is this hearing expected to take, Melissa? Um, I'm unsure of that because a lot of the media have, you know, you've had, they have to be outside. It's unlike a lot of things, they're not allowed to do any recordings inside of the courtroom or anything like that. Mm. So any journalists that I've been watching on news reports in the States, they're all standing outside waiting to hear the same as everyone else. I guess it's family court. That's, that's, that's what it is, really. She, she did. There are some clips going around of a statement that she issued to the court but for now for the rest of it it'll be as they say in camera and behind closed doors but she's staying she's saying she wants her life back she will not she's refusing to perform and and she wants to, I, I think it's so sad for her that she just wants to this guy he's an Iranian actor I think she wants to marry him she wants to have a baby she's she's 39 she's fit and well she's got all this money she's entitled to retire now under her own terms 
absolutely. And like she hasn't even fully stated that she does want to retire. She just refuses to perform when yeah. the money is not going to her. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I'll leave it there because we don't know how long it's going to take, but at least the case is now underway. An awful lot of it will be in camera and behind closed doors. Uh, the Britney Spears story. Like we forget it's it's so long ago now since she... Look, she did. She, she had a breakdown. She lost it, effectively. And she was taken into this conservatorship for her own protection. But now she wants out. She can't even... She can't even get pregnant... She can't even travel with her boyfriend without her father's permission. You'd have seen in the last 24 hours or so where the Tonishta has said that AstraZeneca could be administered to younger people during July because of there being excess doses available. You know the way back earlier in the year, they stopped giving it out to anybody under 50. So they've got stock and they're going to have more stock over the next few weeks. So Leo Radker is throwing out the idea that in order to deal with the threat from Delta, which spreads very easily and is spreading easily towards two young people, that you'd start, you know, vaccinating young people faster with AstraZeneca. And he's kind of thrown that idea over to NIAC, the National Immunisation Advisory Committee. It seems to make absolute sense, but does it? Christine Lawsher is Professor of Biotechnology at DCU. Professor, good morning. Good morning. And welcome to the Opinion Line. Does the idea make sense? Yes, it does. Um, so if AstraZeneca vaccine has been given very successfully um, in a huge number of countries to people of all ages um, over the age of 18, and all ages were included in the initial clinical trials, um, the, there is a risk that has come to light as we started to use more of the vaccine, uh, which was around this very rare blood clotting. Um, and I suppose the decision, initial decision was not necessarily about not, not being allowed to give it to people under 50, but it was about that there should be a preference for another type of vaccine for those people if it was available. Mm. And w- the reason for that is, is based on a risk analysis. So in order to decide what age group to give it to, um, NIAC, along with other um, vaccine committees around the world, did the same type of analysis, which is what is the risk of somebody being hospitalised with COVID if they get it in their 20s or 30s? and then weigh that up against the risk of them potentially getting a blood clot from the vaccine. And up until this point, before Delta, they felt that the benefit-risk analysis was that we shouldn't give it to them under the age of 50 um, if there was another vaccine available, and that we should hold off until that was possible. But now with Delta, I think we need to revisit that decision um, because the risk of hospitalisation with Delta is double the risk um, than it was with the, with the variant that we've been dealing with up to now. Now, so people in the, in the mid-30s, uh, Christine, are being called at the moment yeah. for their Pfizer or, or Moderna, which is what's most, and Johnson & Johnson. And the other. Do we know or is there research to what particular age cohort is most at risk from these very rare clots? And could we use that information then? Yes, so essentially the most data that we have is the real-world data that comes from the UK um, because they've administered over 20 million first doses and 9 million second doses up until the middle of last month. So, so they've, they've administered 32 million doses um, until very recently. There was about 300 clots reported in all of those doses and they said about a fifth of the uh, blood clots were happening in younger cohorts. 
So, for example, about half under the age of 50, about um, a third of the numbers that were reported in the UK in April and May um, were in people under the age of 50. So that's still like it's still a small amount. There's there's a huge I mean, it doesn't account for the demographic in terms of the numbers of people in each of those cohorts. But what we do know is that less people under that age group actually got it. So the incidence rate is higher in younger individuals, but the risk-benefit analysis has changed in Mm. that Delta is actually posing a bigger risk to everybody, including younger cohorts. And therefore, we may be in a situation where we have to consider, should Mm. we give them the vaccine now because the risk of COVID is is higher to them than it was before. Right, even know, on those figures from the UK and and literally uh, margins of my notes calculation here says that's a one in three hundred thousand chance of yeah. something going wrong. It's it's very small. The, the, what they've calculated in in the UK is that um, twelve people per million would be at risk of a blood clot, and if you weigh that up against thirty nine people per million are at risk of a blood clot if they get COVID infection. So the risk of getting a blood clot with the vaccine is three times lower than it is with the infection itself. So Mm. I think that we just have a a perception that COVID in young people is not really a big deal. And actually, it can be very serious for individuals. And the problem with COVID is it's a virus that you don't know the impact on it until you get it. Even though you can have predictors around underlying disorder and age, there are still large numbers of younger people under the age of 50 who've had COVID, who've had significant impact that they couldn't have predicted. There's a frightening statistic come out of the UK in the last 24 hours. They reckon that 2 million people have long COVID in England. Yeah, and that's that's a huge issue here. And and what we see in our hospital system is that that some of the consultants in certain areas, uh, particularly around um, adolescent paediatricians, and also people in respiratory medicine have started to now see an awful lot of people presenting with lingering symptoms. And even just in my own experience, just talking to people who've had COVID, significant numbers of young people have been left with lingering symptoms that has taken them a long time to recover. And the hope is, is that they would recover over time, but we don't know enough about the after effects of this virus to really be able to say that for sure. So I think we need to be really cautious um, and not, you know, just automatically think that younger people are able, better able to deal with the virus and there's no impact on them. There is. And I think the most important thing is that we need to revisit the decision about the age range for AstraZeneca if we have a excess and we have them there in supply given that the Delta variant has changed things for everybody. Now, NIAC will generally take its instruction from or, or its advice from European, yeah, the EMA, isn't it? So where do they presently stand? Because I know some countries, like the Dutch, have opened their cohort to the over-18s, and, and I think the, Dan- the Danes have done it as well. Where do the European agencies stand, do you know? Yeah, well, I mean, there was a lot of talk yesterday from the European agencies about, you know, that the big instruction to governments in the, in the European Union was roll out the vaccines and roll them out as quickly as you can, you know, and we need to get vaccines into people. So there's a lot of countries now are starting to redo their calculations on risk-benefit and starting to roll those out, and I think that that may give NIAC some confidence mm. um, that this may be the best course of action. And I think NIAC have always, 
in um, worked in the best interests in terms of taking what's happening in other countries, taking the scientific evidence that we have, both scientific evidence that's coming out of experimental laboratories, but also the real life data um, mm. and being able to make really good strategic decisions for our vaccine programme. So we have, if we have an excess I think NIAC, you know, will make the right decisions about how we best use mm. that, um, that excess with the overall goal of getting as many people vaccinated as possible to mitigate the impact of Delta because Delta is here and it's probably going to increase. But we have the tools now to be able to mm. mitigate and really minimise the potential impact that it might have. Lastly, and, and briefly, Professor, and I'm not too sure whether you're placed to, to address this, but in, in, in your opinion as, as a scientist, are we far enough ahead with our vaccine programme to continue the opening of society as we have planned to do, in your opinion? I mean, as I said, I think yesterday, it, it's really, we have these few weeks where we need to get those second doses into our older cohort. I mean, our, our, our real old go- overall goal always has been to protect our older um, adults and our um, vulnerable. And until we have them protected now against Delta, we had them protected against Alpha, we don't have them protected against Delta, but we're very close. We're weeks away from being able to do that. So I'd hate for us to move too quickly and regret that decision because they're, even though they have a lot of protection from the vaccine against hospitalisation, um, they don't have that protection against getting the infection. So the risk is still there for them against Delta, but we're very close, but we're not quite there yet. All right, listen, thank you very much for being with us today. That's Professor Christine Lusher from the, the Department of Biotechnology at DCU. Let's get it into the arms. One in 300,000 is the risk. It's very, very small. And why not just open the portal, open it up tomorrow, and say to anybody over the age of 18, get in there Give us your PPS, give us your name, and state, will you take an AstraZeneca vaccine? And then, off you go. 1857-15996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Cork's 96FM's free speaker frenzy is happening here. Play Cork's 96FM. We've got loads of cool new smart speakers to give away every day. Join Casey and Ross in the morning and stay with us all day long for your chance to win. Win. Listen for the cue to text or WhatsApp. If we call you back, repeat the phrase. Play Quartz 96 FM. To win a smart speaker. You want it? I never felt this good. Quartz 96 FM's free speaker frenzy. With Blackpool fully opened up. It's great to be back. See blackpool.ie. Hello, hello, hello. Stay listening to win and remember to say. Play Quartz 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Quite a lot of people messaging us this morning about the division of chores 
in the house and the division of the bits and pieces that just have to be done. Like the garden and the kitchen and the children's clothes and the laundry for everybody else and cooking the dinner and all, all the div- general division within the house after that CSO survey. Which kind of shows that, look, it's pretty much as we would have expected, that it's divided within general the general average household in that and it, given that it's a mum and a dad we'll say in a couple of kids she has her stuff that she does he has his stuff that he does there's a bit of crossover and in general everything works out okay and there's no big drama about it what I am hearing though is a lot of messages of you know fellas who got married and were pure proper useless <laughs> pure proper useless and had to learn and that's a failing of us, I think, as men. We we don't pick it up at home unless, well, unless we pick it up at home. I know I didn't. I was too lazy, and I admit that freely. I was pure bog useless. No, nobody's fault except my own entirely. Pure bog useless I was. But Mags, <laughs> Mag says it's pretty much fifty-fifty in our house. We chip in, and everything gets done. It took a while though to train him when we moved in together first. His parents had done everything for him. My gang are learning how to cook and to do chores, though. And Audrey in Germany. Hey, Audrey. I broke my wrist. So now they know and they realize how much I actually do. Uh, <laughs> tears of joy when I watch them do it. I'll come back to that because there's quite a lot of it there. Uh, John O'Donovan was on. And look, we've all had our rows with John. But I'm happy to help him on this one. Yesterday morning something happened to John he has a banner highlighting an upcoming rally for life on July 3rd and that banner was hanging on the railings of Pope's Quay near St Mary's Dominican Church and the banner was taken Gardaí have been notified and they're checking CCTV John just wants it brought back no comment on what's on the banner no comment on the rally no comment on nothing but John had put a banner a banner for the rally on the railings and it's gone he'd like it back and if anybody knows where it is they can help us to get it to John at 1850 we've talked a lot in the last couple of days about teenagers and in particular yesterday we were discussing the, the findings from the joint policing committee where youngsters as young as 12, 13, 14 are being found in town late at night drunk and we had a whole topic of conversation around that yesterday. I'm going to put that to my next guest at some point to maybe assist parents who would be worried about that happening to the youngster or if they see that happening to the youngster, how they might go about it. But something that does worry people quite a lot is how do I prepare my nice, gentle, funny, loving youngster for teenagership? Those half a dozen years where they change, oh by Jesus, do they change. They go from being sweet and kind and loving and gentle, and that's just the fellas. They turn into these monsters that just come out of the bedroom to eat and fight. And I've been given out to before for saying that, but most of the people who give out to me for saying that have never raised a teenager. There's a a new book out called Embracing Change 
um, from Harry Barry. And of course, Harry Barry wrote one of my favourite books uh, on raising teenagers, and that was called Flagging the Screenager. And, uh, he, and he joins me once again on the opinion line. Harry, good morning to you. Hello, PJ. How are you? Good to everybody. I often say to people who, who give out to me about describing teenagers as a monster who goes into their room and comes out to eat and fight, they say I'm being unfair. I ask, have you ever raised one? But apart from that, it's a worrying time because teenagers, they're going, they're going out into the world, into a very, very dangerous world sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I, I think uh, there's a lot here to discuss and I'm delighted you're discussing this. The first thing I'll say, PJ, is look, entering into adolescence, which is really what a teenager is is doing, is one of the great transitional periods of life. And I think the first thing that parents need to understand that we have three different brains, and we never talk about this, and this is the explanation for all the changes that actually happen and we see, but we never talk about it. We have the child brain, which is going on from about 0 to 12. Then we have the adolescent brain between 12, 13, and uh, going up to 25, and then the adult brain. And the trouble is the adult brain is trying to kind of prepare the child brain for the, ad- for the adolescent brain. Or the, so you have all these things interacting. So the really important part is to understand what happens in, when the childhood brain, ha- uh, what happens up to the age of, say, 10, 11, 12, the brain is, be, is, is like a mess. The, the, the child's um, neurons are, are growing, growing, growing massively. So what happens is the brain has to do this pruning job, and it starts at around the age of 12. And the really important part is between 12 and 18, it's pruning the emotional brain. And yet the logical brain, the rational brain, only becomes really um, mature at the age of around 25 onwards. 25? So what we we have actually is we have a really emotional period of time for the teenager. And that's why they, they are so intensely emotional and they're not particularly rational. And, and we, we as adults, because we are rational, because our brains have matured to a rational state, are kind of applying our ideas and our principles and our approaches to this adolescent brain. And that's uh-huh. where the slanging all this happens. So it's all about how can I prepare the child, you know what I mean, coming from the childhood bit for adolescents. And I, I, I have a few ideas here if you'd yeah. like me to go through them. Just, just before you, you go there, Harry, a question. So what I think you're saying here is that we as parents, be you in their, in your 40s, I suppose most parents of teenagers would be in their late 30s at least, or 40s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That when you're having that confrontation and the slamming of the door and the emotional hijinks that goes with it, there's no point in trying to get your sense of the world into their head because their head is just not ready for it. Exactly. You have it in a nutshell. And that's where the problems all start. Because we're trying to we're trying to approach a very emotional adolescent brain with an adult kind of approach, which is quite rational and quite sensible. I mean a lot of the stuff that we adults are trying to say are completely sensible and rational. But we're just not taking into account the fact that the child's emotion or the adolescent's emotional brain is not really ready for this information. And you'll notice that it's particularly bad from the, you know, 12 state to 15, 12 to 16 phase. And that as they're going into later adolescence, the starting of the uh, maturing of the, the, the more rational, the prefrontal cortex begins to happen increasingly. So you notice that by the time they get to leave and start, there's a little bit of kind of 
and more rationality and common sense and or and 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 less of the emotion and by the time they get to the early 20s that's getting better again and by the mid 20s we have this quite solid mature young person uh, a young adult you know what i mean who's ready for life really to a certain mm-hmm. extent so just it's really important that we have this discussion because there's no point in talking about say teenagers out in the streets at 12 13 14 for example drinking and all that stuff which we'll talk to about in a minute unless you understand the adolescent brain you're you're wasting your time and and countries that have tried to introduce programs based on rationality for example stopping kids smoking and things like that in in years gone by and decades gone by for example in germany fails completely because they didn't understand the emotionality of the of the adolescent brain. So very, for, very interesting. Again, from a parenting point of view, accepting that the way the parent's brain functions, that they're not there yet, they're not in a position yes. to understand it yet. You still have to, though, keep them are, you, know, you still yes, have to protect them. You still have to try and get yes. it into their heads that there are dangers out there. So, it, so how it, do you exactly. do that, Harry? Well, I think preparation is a lot of it, and I really like the idea of trying to prepare them a little bit for this. So one nice idea, just for your own information, is the parent is like the rational brain of the adolescent during this phase. In other words, you're the one trying to keep them out of difficulties during this particular period. It's a very interesting thought. Um, but anyway, here's one critical thing for me. From very early on, from stage seven, eight onwards, you know, coming up to the teenage time and in adolescence, I want to, really one great message I want to talk about today, I want you to validate the emotions of your, both your, uh, your children and your early adolescents. Always validate their emotions. Because if you don't, and it's great to start this before they reach adolescence, if they come to you about something very silly that's upsetting them and you dismiss them, you've lost them. Because the next time that something more serious comes along that's affecting the emotions, they won't come. So you've got to prepare a kind of a, almost prepare the way that they, could, they feel that they can come to you how they feel. You will sit down, you will take that couple of minutes, even if you're really busy, remember this for adolescents, if they're, even if you're chasing at the door, if they come to you with something, sit them down for a couple of minutes, listen to them, validate them, and say, look, I know this is really important to you, I'd like to come back to this later, could we return to this and have a chat about this later? And they go off quite happy. In you other words, you're registering it as a conversation exactly. and saying we'll come back to it. How, how important yeah. is it Harry, and this has come up a lot in the course, if you like, actually, of young people and how they've been behaving through the pandemic. But someone said to me here one morning, PJ, we should put a poster on the wall, all of us, and that poster should read, you were 16 too. Yes, absolutely. We can all remember this this phase, you know what I mean? And I think we all remember how awkward we felt. I mean, remember the adolescent person. It's really important, not only is their brain changing, but they, like from, it's from 0 to 7, the child wants to be with their mother. From 7 to 12 onwards, or 7 to 12, they want to be with their father. From 13, 14 onwards, they want to be with their peers. And that's really a key change. And that's a very hard thing for a lot of parents to kind of grasp, that suddenly this child who wanted to be with them, no, no longer wants to be with them, they want to be with their peers. How do we forget something that we all went through ourselves? Exactly. We all went through this. But how do we and, forget it so easily then? Uh, because, we, we, because we become rational 
adults and we forget the emotionality of our adolescence. Um, but there's a few lovely things I'd like them to, to teach. Um, I, I think we should be teaching them unconditional self-acceptance. We should be teaching them to learn to accept themselves as the special, unique human beings they are. We should be teaching them this from very early on and to also a personal responsibility for their actions. These are things that we can try and instill the whole way along. So when we get to adolescence, these aren't new ideas. Another thing that the, um, young people are really struggling with, they're struggling with the concept of failure. They, 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 they have got it into their head, and we as adults are partly responsible for this, that if they fail at something, that they are a failure. Mm. Not that they failed at something in life or a task or a job or... Or, a or that they're the first people yeah. who ever failed, failed. So teaching them all the way along that you've failed and, and talk to them about how you fail and how you, the most important thing about failure is getting back up again and having another goal. But teaching them that they as human beings are not failure, they can only fail as a task. And there's some other, um, uh, I think, really important things we need to do with them. Uh, a very important thing, and this is important, if a difficult issue comes up, like I had a mum recently told me that her eight or, eight or nine-year-old and a seven-year-old came to her because somebody had died. And... She, she was quite shocked, but she sat them down and had a simple age-appropriate discussion on the subject. And they went off quite hard. So if difficult issues come up like death, bullying, you know, things, very difficult ones like suicide or all difficult issues come up, you have to be prepared to sit down with them, even in, in late childhood, and have those age-appropriate discussions with them. And then they will feel listened to and validated and they'll come back to you again later. I also think we need to teach them to respect themselves and to respect other people. And I think this is something we can ingrain in children as they're preparing for that line is not the best, Harry. It's fading yeah. in and out. I'm going to try Sorry, there. That's probably me moving away from the phone a little bit. Okay. But I think we need to respect, you know, teach them to respect themselves and respect other people. You know what I mean? So that when they come into adolescence, they have that sense of respect. I also think that we 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 need to have discussions. Let's be let's be blunt about it. Uh, the issue of, you know, drinking and drugs and all that kind mm. of stuff. I think what's really important is that young people, their adolescent brain gets these dopamine surges. And we never talk about this again. A dopamine surge is, is a way that the evolution has created the, the adolescent brain to try things out. So it gives them a dopamine hit, a kind of a real pleasure hit, when they try something new, when they try something different. And uh, the trouble with this is that, of course, they, they therefore want to go out and they want to try uh, the drink. They want to try the, uh, the, the so the driving too fast. They want to try, um, uh, you know, uh, sex, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff. So they, they get a kind of a buzz when they do things, particularly in groups. Mm. And, and are we yeah. completely wasting our time warning them of the dangers? Well, it, it's very interesting. There's an awful lot of research which shows that the it's not that they don't fully understand the dangers. I think we have a role in, 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 in teaching them about the dangers, but that when they get into the situation, the emotionality takes over. They get the dopamine hit. And, and, and that's why, let's, let's be blunt about it, PJ, which of us as teenagers didn't do things that we, our, our parents still to this day probably don't know about, you know what I mean? Where we would often did quite risky things or uh, crazy things, and that, that's part of there, being a There's teenager. the poster on the wall again. You were yeah, 16 too. 
we, we were 16 sometime too. But I think what we can do, and I, I think this is important, I think though there, there has to be a balance um, in the adolescent house between, uh, you know, there have, to be, there have to be certain kind of parameters. In other words, the young person needs to know that I, I'm going to be given a certain amount of slack. Uh, I, I, but if I go beyond a certain point, I'm going to definitely be called up. Mm. Do you but know there what I mean? aren't I boundaries there to be pushed when you're 16? Yes, absolutely. And your job as a, as a parent, and I say this all the time, your, your job as a parent is to create those boundaries, reasonable boundaries, flexible kind of boundaries, where you accept the emotionality of the, the adolescent brain. You allow them a certain amount of flag, but that the young person knows I can only push it to there and then I'm going to hit the wall. And, you know, they need, they need to feel that sense of a boundary because that gives them a certain amount of security. So mm. you, even though they're pushing against you, deep down, they actually like that little bit of security. So I think really important that, and uh, the biggest one for me here, and this is the whole area, uh, one of my big bugbears, as you know, PJ, you've heard me probably lot about it, is the world of social media. We're giving young children uh, smartphones and access to social media at far too young an age. And this is one of the examples where, in my opinion, a parent has to step up to the place and say, hold on a minute now, you know, I'm the parent in the situation. If I give my this, if I give this uh, child and of uh, nine, eight or nine, a smartphone uh, without very serious um, built-in kind of protective things, this is going to come back on me. And an awful lot of children are are seeing things online that are very distressing and very disturbing for them. A lot of kids are are watching porn. Young men are watching porn at very very young ages. It's distorting their sense of relationships. Mm. And I think this is a subject that um, parents do need to oh, yeah. with. Has it gone too far to be rescued, Harry? Um, I, I certainly, I nearly think it has. I think you're probably right, PJ. I, I think it's a son. But I certainly, uh, I do beg parents to have this conversation regularly with them. I think it's, it's something that teachers and schools need to, to, to talk a lot about as well. But I do think it's, it's part of the difficulties. Like when we were uh, teenagers, PJ, we didn't have this extra dimension of social media on our, on our plate where these kids are being taught to rate themselves all the time, yeah. to compare themselves all the time. And this is terribly damaging. Like we're hearing over and over and over again, anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. These kids are constantly anxious. And the reason they're constantly anxious is because they're, they're playing the rating game. They're comparing themselves all the time yeah. to their other peers. Good. And that's making them incredibly okay. anxious. And another thing we don't do with young, young children, and another thing that I'm really hot on, and adolescents, we don't teach them about the physical symptoms of anxiety. We should be teaching them from very early on how the brain works, why we get anxious, what happens physically, what's adrenaline in our body, what's normal, what's natural. Yeah. So that when they get things like chronic attacks or phobias and all these physical symptoms, they kind of they, they know, they know what, what they know to how do. to deal with it. I, yeah. I'm running running short on time, Harry, but I do want to bring up with you that issue that rose uh, last week. Our our chief superintendent brought up that there are twelve, thirteen, and fourteen year olds being found late at night on the streets of Cork, drunk. As a parent, if your child does that, where do you start? Well, I, I, I think the first thing to, to, to start with is, is 
to to validate if it happens you have to as a parent accept it i think you do have a responsibility as a parent to know where your child is at, at any stage i particularly think young children of you know 12 13 14 we do have responsibility as parents to know where they are uh, and secondly i think we it, like if it happens the most important thing is not to blow the top that's what that's where we get into trouble the important thing is to sit down very quietly with the young person, explain uh, why you're uh, uh, distressed about this, why you're bothered about this, that you understand um, the, you know, they need to go out with their peers and they, they need to try different things. But you have to kind of uh, explain to them that there have to be, there have to be boundaries uh, and, you know, that if they continue that behaviour, then there will be consequences. And I, I, think, I think that's an important point. There, there always have to be consequences. It's not being the, you're being the, the, the rational brain of the young person until they're 18. If that's a good lesson for parents to learn. I'm the rational brain of my young person until they're 18. So my job is to try to keep them safe as best I can, understanding their adolescent brain, understanding their emotional brain, mm. validating their emotions and trying to keep them safe. Last, la, la, lastly, Harry, someone said to me one time, and I thought it was uh, wise, I said I'd run it across you. Someone said to me, you know, PJ, you're raising teenagers. If they don't hate you at least once a week, you're not doing your job properly. I would agree very much with that. It's part of their job to push against you. You know what I mean? Uh, so you're creating boundaries, and that that boundaries are very important. They have to be flexible boundaries. Remember those words flexible boundaries. Rigid boundaries will end up in disaster. Flexible boundaries. But yes, you know, inevitably, the young person will tell you regularly how how they hate you and all the rest of it during this period of time. You know, when they're in their early 20s, they'll come back and thank you. (laughs) And you know what? You're you're absolutely right. Always a pleasure to speak with you. That's Dr. Harry Barry, author of Flagging the Screenager and author of Embracing Change. They're not really your enemy. But Jesus, sometimes it feels like they are. But give it time. And remember that poster on the wall. You were 16 once. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Cork's 96 FM. Bernie says, yeah, we were 16 too. But the difference between then and now is we were disciplined. We had to be home at a certain time. If you're not taught, excuse me, if you're not taught at 16, you won't know how to behave in an acceptable manner when you reach your 20s and your 30s. Yeah. PJ, does your guest think young people are prolonging childhood, i.e. in college until 25 or 26? I found young people who leave school and go into work seem in general to have a less of a sense of entitlement. Maybe they haven't the freedom to spend their summers just as they like. They have to, to work. I don't know about them maturing after 25. I'm babysitting my mother-in-law, 35-year-olds, and I will be for the duration. I'm not really sure where that's going, but I think you get the point. You don't have, They don't actually mature as much as you think. And Claire says, like I say to the kids I work with, and my mum used to say to me, be good, but if you can't be good, be careful. I love what Harry says. He said, that 16-year-old, 17-year-old brain is not yet ready for your 30-something sense. Your 30-something-year-old sense. So there you are. Look, I had this. I remember this when, when my kids were teenagers. Myself and my daughter used to fight like two cats in a flipping bag. And the Queen Bee used to say to me, she doesn't get it. You're never going to win that way. You're never going to get through to her that way. God, she was right. She couldn't take in where I was coming from because she wasn't mature enough. Her brain wasn't ready. Now we get on like a house on fire and we drive my wife mad by the way we get on (laughs) because we're two peas of the same pod. How's ever? We'll move on. We shall move on. Uh, you've all been watching, I think, a huge number of people, if you're judged by social media anyway, a huge number of people have been watching the new um, Sophie Tuscan Duplantier documentary, Murder at the Cottage, the one on Sky. The other one on Netflix comes next week. Is it Wednesday, Thursday of next week? And then the West Cork podcast is being turned into a television show also by the people who made Chernobyl. Can't wait to see that one. But the one in the headlines this week is the one made by Jim Sheridan. Uh, Murder at the Cottage, currently showing on Sky Crime and on Now in five parts. And a huge, huge talking point for lots and lots of people over the last week or so. I got an opportunity to catch up with Jim Sheridan. And remember, this is a man who has six Oscar nominations. and He was the man behind My Left Foot which won two Oscars for Daniel Day-Lewis and who was the other, uh, Brenda, Brenda Fricker. And uh, the In the Name of the Father was also one of his. Uh, in America was another one of his movies, The Boxer. And his, his list of accolades is as long as your arm. So when Jim Sheridan took an interest in the murder of Sophie Tosca and Duplantier, I think everybody stood up 
and took notice. And as I said, I've had an opportunity to speak with him, and you'll hear it next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Jim, first of all, thank you very much for being with us on The Opinion Line. And and my compliments on a, a most wonderfully put together uh, piece of work. You start out in the very early part of the programme by telling us that you are a storyteller. And I wanted to ask you, first of all, what attracted you to tell this story? Why did you want to tell this story in particular? You know, there's an easy answer to that, which is I was fascinated by the murder. But, like, you never know. A story doesn't... You don't go light bulb oh i'll do this story you start investigating something you put your toes in the water and then it takes you in and you suddenly are swimming and then you're out of your depth and then you're out in the ocean like i can't exactly tell you you know that i pursued this like some logical piece of work that you know i said oh i'll do this you know Mm. It, it it you start to investigate your own belief system, your own life, and somehow the story that you're pursuing ties into your own life in a way that's hard to explain. In a fiction, you start with a story, and in a documentary, you start with an idea and end up with a story. Yeah. I was watching it with the wife the other night, and, and she observed to me, she said, he seems very personally invested in this the scenes particularly where you're going through data and documents and photographs she said Jim seems very personally invested in this now yeah well probably I am Um, you know it's it's like I don't want to be trying to do the police's job or you know doing stepping over the line of where my responsibilities lie. But there is a part of me that's just trying to find justice for everybody. And, you know, I get pissed off with people not having done their job. You know? Are you critical of of, of the guy the handling? Because many people have been. Not really in that sense, not in the sense of, you know, what am, who am I to be critical? You know, I'm just observing what I see, which is they start an investigation. They're barred from doing it in France. The only place they can do it in Ireland. So the only place they can get an answer is in Ireland. So what's that about? You know, then they start saying things like it had to be a local. Well, good luck to them with that. That's a great assumption. Where did they get that? Had to be a local, like, no. It had to be someone who knew where the woman lived, where Sophie lived, you know? It's, it's totally demented to make that statement to me. I suppose the, the, the assumption might have been, Jim, from the remote nature of the location. I mean, it is literally the middle of nowhere. So Sherlock Holmes thinks it has to be a local. Like, let's just take that now for a second. 
a woman is killed in a remote location. So the first thing they say is, let's root everybody out except the locals. So get a little, you know, what, what compass and draw a five mile radius around the house and it's somebody there. Does that make sense to you? Like instead of, could it be to do with the husband? Could it be to do with somebody in France? Could it be to do with, like, no, we can't investigate in France, so let's draw a compass area five miles around the house. What about going to Paris and drawing a compass area five miles around the French house? Like, I'm just not saying that it was somebody French, but the assumptions that started this whole thing are just too hard for my head to deal with, you know? Mm. You feel a lot was left out. I feel that there's big issues like whether Europe is a federal union or an economic union or a legal union or a law and order union. And what happens if we get under stress and there's actually a war? What actually happens with Europe and Ireland and the whole thing? We now have a situation where the French police don't allow the Irish police to investigate or talk to anybody in France. And so if there was a, a murder of a French person in Ireland, or, a, you know, no, sorry, if there was a murder of an Irish person in France and the French police come here, would we do the same? Just assume, PJ, because I don't want to get into it, but your wife, you're married, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes. Goes down the south of France and she's murdered and the French police come over and the Irish police say, PJ is very well known on the radio, so you can't talk to him. Go home. Like, just think of how crazy that is. Mm, yeah. Like, like, how crazy is that? And, and what legal, what structures, what European structures are we talking about here? Or are we just going to do exactly as we're told in Ireland and obey, bow down and obey, yes sir, no sir, three bags full sir? I mean, that seems to me a fundamental issue in this case, you know? And I understand that, I, I actually think the Irish police were probably trying too hard, haven't been barred from fully investigating it. They're then trying to emotionally, they get emotionally involved and push it too hard. And, you know, mm. and the first man at the scene of the crime, obviously he did it, you know? Yeah. Like, is that like, on what planet does that make sense? Okay, here's the first guy to see in the crime. What, he's suspicious. Uh, he beat his partner up, so let's arrest him. He did it. That's not Sherlock Holmes exactly. There's five years' work in this, Jim. Um, over those five years, you've kind of anticipated my next question. Have you learned stuff in the last five years that surprised you, that you were shocked to learn? Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, I've always been of the opinion that the thing that frightens me most, and not in a kind of overt sense, like the way you get frightened by the police or a robber or a gangster, but in an insidious sense by the Irish legal system, that scares me, you know? I saw it from when I was a child, you know? Kids taken off the street and put 200 miles away in leather frack. And should they all have to go before a judge who thought it was smart 
and kind to take them from their family and send them down to the Christian brothers and let their frack, you know, and that has always stayed with me as I'll be suspicious of the legal system until they show another face, you know? Yeah. And I felt, I felt an empathy for Ian Bailey on that basis. Um, and then, you know, that led me into the story and the more I heard about what happened in the legal trials, the more I was banging my head off a wall and not able to understand it. Like you have a libel trial where one person totally purges themselves, but there's no retrial. This being Marie Farrell, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but like there was no retrial. There was no address of that. So instead of addressing that Marie Farrell turns around and says, you know, I was sorry I was lying, Everybody says, who was with you in the car? So you blame the victim. So now it's, oh, Marie Fardell is to blame. Well, she's not actually, you know. Yeah. She was foolish. She was unwise. She was trying to help the police. And then she realized she was doing wrong. And she changed her opinion and everybody in Ireland attacked her. Yeah. I just don't get it. it it's it, and that this is not to say, you know, that I know anything more than anybody else, or that I'm telling you 100 percent Ian Bailey didn't do it. I'm just telling you what I observe. Yeah. And then in a second trial where that case against the police turned into a case against Ian Bailey, you know. Yeah. Where the judge had to constantly say, "Oh, you know, this is not a murder trial." Well, guess what? You know, and. And this has nothing to do. Like Ian Bailey has his own faults and his own peculiarities, eccentricities, um, and difficulties. But, you know, if a person's accused of a crime as high as murder, there's a big bar, there's a high bar, you know? And if there are perjurers and people lying about him, like at some point, somebody has to turn around and say, hey, what's going on here? Hmm. Yeah, you, you you focus as you would be expected to have focused a lot on, on Ian Bailey. How does he come across to you, Jim? Complex, um, strong, uh, weak, um, like any human being. The stress he's suffered for 25 years. Mm. You know, and I'm like, man, how did he survive that? So you can't like, so you you put eccentric Ian over here and he wants to be a poet or whatever other crimes that he's supposed to have committed, like wanting to be famous or notorious or whatever. And like, I just don't see it in comparison to what, what he, what he, what he was accused of, you know? Yeah. And maybe, maybe he just had to survive, you know, it's, it's hard to keep your head above water if, you know, we had 10 Irishmen, four called the Guildford Four, six called the Birmingham Six, all convicted. Most of them confessed. And this Englishman, not convicted, didn't confess, never said he did it. And he gets castigated, you know? Mm. And it seems to me that we'd prefer if somebody confessed wrongly and was put in prison so we could all feel 
sorry for them and that they're vulnerable. And maybe it's that Ian Bailey doesn't appear vulnerable is his problem. Mm. You know, he seems like somebody standing in the middle of a storm and he doesn't, it doesn't seem to affect them, but I actually think it's catastrophically affected them, you know? Mm. There was a story emerged at the weekend that Sophie's family were unhappy and that they wanted footage removed. Can you shed a bit of light on that other than what we've read in the papers? Like, have you had a falling out with them or what? What happened there, Jim? No, not really. I haven't had a falling out with them. I haven't really talked to them. The last time I spoke to them was at the French trial and they promised me that they'd do interviews and somebody said they signed an exclusive deal with Netflix. I never really thought that it would come down to that they wouldn't want the interviews I did with them in the dock. Mm. But, like, they're the grieving family. Like They, they seem to believe, or at least we, we, from what we read, they accuse you of being very sympathetic to Ian Bailey. How would you answer that charge? Well, look at the documentary. I mean, most people say to me it's very well balanced. You know, and don't forget, I had to deal with, a huge compliance team in Sky, people who are every day saying to me, well, you can only say this or say that, Hmm. and who are very concerned with it being fair and abide by Avcom rules and have right to reply. And, you know, and I had to tiptoe, you know, and, you know, I, 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 I think we've been very balanced. I think as we we forget that, I guess, Jim, those who would not be program makers, we we would forget the level of compliance to get something like this to air. So you've you've been there and back with the legals. Yeah, and I'm sure Netflix have the same kind of stuff. I don't know how extensive. Um, And I'm not in... Like, I find it disgusting that people think I'm in competition with Netflix. Mm. Like... I'm in competition with the truth. I'm in competition with justice. I'm in competition, hopefully, with some high ideal, you know, that I've spent years and years on this story trying to get to the truth of it. And I'm not finished, you know. You're not finished. Is is, is there more to come? Yeah, there's more to come. Uh, You know, Sky have been amazing to deal with, really fair and, you know, and so concerned about the family that I can't tell you. I mean, the family only had to go boo and Sky would have taken that footage out. That was the reality I knew, you know, that they were never going to damage or or it be seen that Sky could even hair, hurt a hair on the family's head, mm. you know. Mm. They just weren't going to do it. Yeah. So I always knew if it came down to it and the family were unhappy with anything that... It would be surgical removal. Jim, you say there's more to come. Uh, we await that with interest. But my final question is, is I guess, a considered one. Do you, We'll start with the fact that you open by saying you're a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think we will read the closing chapter? Do you ever think we will really know what happened that night nearly 25 years ago? I wouldn't keep going if I didn't think that. I could be wrong. Um, I think that it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like the difficulty is 
if you wanted to convict Dean Bailey of the crime, the best way to do it would be to allow into your mind the fact that he may not have committed it. The minute you're on, he had to commit it to make sense. You can't investigate it fully. It's just not possible. So you're kind of on a proving your thesis as opposed to looking at facts. And that's the difficulty that surrounded this case. That, you know, nobody has, well, first of all, there's only one half of the story, which is the Irish half. And it's the French half I am now interested in to try and end the pain for the family. That's Mm -hmm. kind of where my head is at. Mm. Because reading the Sunday papers, one would have said there's a bit of a rift there. There's not. No, no. If there is, it's 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 one way, you know. Mm. Lastly, Jim, do you have at this stage, or have you formed in your own mind your own picture about what happened on that fateful night? Well, here's the thing. When we first met the French family, everybody was talking about the jinx and how Robert Durst confessed. And I actually think, even though that trial hasn't come to trial, the supposed confession that he made on audio, I'm not sure it's a confession. And I think, you know, it was discovered like just as they were going to air. And I think maybe the family might have had the impression that we would get a confession or could get a confession from Ian Bailey. And believe me, we tried. And so for six years, you know, Ian Bailey has recorded himself, both blindingly sober, totally depressed, sometimes with a few drinks taken, and never got close to a confession. So I can't, um, I'm not sure if I went down and had a thumbscrew that I'd get a confession out of Ian Bailey. So the idea that I was, somebody was going to miraculously come up with that was never going to happen. So what I just say is that it's for your sanity. It's very hard if, if your justice depends on one person being convicted, you know? And there's a very thin line, I suppose, between justice and revenge, you know? Now, I don't think that the family are out for revenge. I think they're just out for closure. They just want it to end, you know? And it's prudent, I guess, to point out that, look, Ian Bailey has always uh, and continues to deny any involvement in the killing of Sophie Tosca and Duplantier. We look forward to hearing your next chapters, Jim. And uh, thank you, if for nothing else, for five hours of compelling television. (laughs) Yeah, God bless you, PJ. Okay, And I hope your listeners all understand that I'm not out to, you know, to me, it's not just entertainment. Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live and we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. If you've been watching Murder at the Cottage, what do you think of it? A lot of people are saying we get nothing new from it or I, I don't know where it's going or I, it doesn't answer my questions. That's okay, but it's a superbly made piece of television and I am thoroughly enjoying it. Does it make me ask questions of what I already thought I knew? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing the Netflix documentary. I particularly look forward to seeing the television version of the West Cork podcast. Now, that's for later this year. That's being made by the same people who made the Chernobyl series from last year. And coming up to the 25th anniversary of Sophie's murder, and I was here, I took the call. I was just about heading out the door that day, finished my shift in the newsroom, and the phone rang. And I picked it up, and that's where my first knowledge came of that body. I think it was Eddie Cassidy from The Examiner, actually, who rang us that day to let us know there'd been a body found down in West Cork. So from that day to this, I've been fascinated by that entire story. And many different elements of it have... uh, Yes, they've given me many, many hours of thought. So I, I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant piece of television uh, made by Jim Sheridan but I look forward to the to the rest of it which we'll get the, the Netflix one drops on Wednesday three parts in that I think three parts let us go back to Harry Barry who I was talking to in the last hour also about teenagers and preparing your, your youngsters for their teenage years and, and understanding that their brains are different to your brain to our brain and it's something that I, as a dad, had to learn, and it wasn't an easy learn. I know it was probably something my own dad had to learn, and it wasn't an easy learn for him. And I'm sure anybody who's got teenagers is learning very hard that it's a hard learn, that their heads just aren't ready for your view of the world. And that causes stress and it causes tension. But in the course of the conversation with Harry Barry, he mentioned, you know, the, the workings of the human brain and how it operates as just as a machine, as a biological entity within our bodies. And purely coincidentally, I picked up on a Netflix documentary series. I've only just started watching it. It's brilliant. It's beautifully made, made in incredible detail using real life examples. It's called Human. I don't know how, how many parts there are, but they're all about an hour long. And the first one, focuses on the brain and the central nervous system and how we react to different stimuli like pain, like fear, like fright, like like violence even. Brilliant. I would well, well and truly recommend it. It's called Human, new documentary series on Netflix. Also going back to our CSO survey earlier on this morning, I, Fergal, do you want to do for me or, or Maureen, would you bring the, the comments on the CSO to the top of the screen so I can get through them before we finish. Some of them are very, very good. But let's go, first of all, to Deirdre Hotsford. Uh, This is to do with the ongoing story of the M20 Cork Limerick motorway, which I'm trying to remember, is it in the programme for government or is it not? Are we ever going to see it or will we not? Deirdre, what is the latest? Good morning. Good morning. How are you, PJ? Good. Um, Yeah, so we rumble on. Um, So... Now we've been told that a decision is due post uh, September. 
So they're in the process of picking the route at the minute, so their preferred route. Um, so that's where we are at the moment. We're having a public meeting tonight about it. It's the first time, I suppose, we've been publicly able to meet with the restrictions and that they've eased enough now that we can do that. Um, hugely important for, for all in the community in our community here in Whitechurch, but all along the route, because there's huge opposition to it. And what routes are on the table? Oh, if I was to start uh, a whole rainbow of colours. Um, they've, they've given each piece a different colour, essentially, along the route, but mainly what it is, is there's there's one main route, that's the Navy route, which is literally a motorway that begins in Limerick and finishes at Blackpool. Mm. Uh, and then there's another option where there's on and offline options of bypasses and that type of stuff, um, but not a full motorway. We obviously don't support a full motorway Why for not? many, Why many not, reasons. Deirdre? It seems the simplest idea. We know how, how, how enjoyable it is now to drive to Dublin. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly from an engineering point of view, yes, it is. It's the simplest option. It's a straight road and they can control the on and off ramps. From, I suppose, a human perspective, um, there will be families put out of their homes, there will be farms that will be unviable, there will be businesses closed um, and there's no need for that to happen because basically what needs to happen is the existing N20 which needs considerable upgrade for safety reasons as we all know, that needs to be upgraded and if they put, like we all know you know, Charleville and Butterfield are, are bottlenecks and they're yeah. a nightmare to get through. They need to be bypassed 100%. And we, as, as a community and as a group, are 100% for improving the connectivity between Cork and Limerick. Would it but cost not... an awful lot more to do that and take an awful lot more time? No, no, it wouldn't. I mean, um, basically, the, the, the estimates at the moment are between one and three billion, so between two and three billion for the motorway. But I mean the upgrades and bypasses would be at a much less cost. Much less. Okay. 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 And and that's coming from the project head himself because we actually had a Zoom with them last night. Uh, I'm wondering if this is off the table. There was an idea mm-hmm. a few years ago that what you would actually do is take a a spur, as it were, or take a spike off the Dublin road. So you'd go as far yes. as Mitchellstown and yes. you'd go cross-country. Is that yes. off the table completely? Yes, they took that off the table as an option. It was there in the initial stages. Because they liked that project. idea. Yeah, um, there was. There was a lot of, of public support for that idea, but the planners took it off the table very early on. Um, and they came up with this bright idea, um, which in our area alone, so I'm speaking about the White Church area, we yeah. will have four roads going the same way if this motorway goes ahead. Now, PJ, they can't maintain... How, how do you mean four roads going the same way? So we will have the old White Church road going out towards Bottle Hill. Mm-hmm. We will have the old Mallow Road. We will have the new Mallow Road. And a motorway. Oh, so Four this would be oh, so this would be separate direction. to the mallow. The because I thought the yes, I thought the idea yes. was to begin by up by by begin where the mallow road begins. No, PJ, no, no, oh. no. They're talking about a whole new road. That's what I meant. They will start this road at, at Limerick, a brand new motorway, and run it right down the middle to Blackpool. Brand new road running parallel to the existing N20. Okay. So it's, it's senseless, absolutely senseless. And I made that point directly to, to the project head uh, yesterday. It's senseless. You're running four roads parallel. They can't 
keep the upkeep of the roads that they have. In the Waterloo Junction at the moment, they currently have sandbags and cones on it. It's a, it's an, an, a nightmare down there. So if they can't keep up the road that's already there, what is the purpose in putting a brand new, huge motorway through prime agricultural land? Uh, we got amazing drone footage done. I can send you a copy of it, PJ. If you see the, the land that they plan on ploughing up, it will divide our community. It brings huge environmental concerns tying into the Paris Climate Agreement. I won't get too technical, but, you know, they want to reduce emissions, yet they're building a huge motorway. Mm. Um, now, know. they will always say that these processes are done with public engagement, are they? Yes. Um, mm, okay. In normal times, we'll say yes. Um, they would have had public meetings and stuff. This was all brought in in November when we were under high COVID restrictions. So everything has been done online. Personally, we felt that the consultation process was a complete farce. Uh, there was supposed to be letters sent out to people who were directly affected. Those letters never came out. The pro- to be fair, the project office have put their hands up on that one. Um, we found it incredibly difficult to get information on them. We've had elderly residents really, really upset and worried. They hear that a road might come through. You can't tell an 80-year-old man to go online to a virtual consultation room. Mm. He hasn't a clue, you know, that usually they can't text, so they were relying on us to, to relay information to them. So it became uh, very fraught. It was a worrying time for everyone that was involved, but we have a committee formed here and they've been utterly amazing, um, I have to say, in helping the community and getting the word out there. And I suppose that's why tonight's so important for us. It's been the first time since this all started in mm. November that we can meet together. So, so where is it on, Deirdre, and what time? Yep, it's in Whitechurch and Waterloo Community Centre um, at 8pm tonight. Have you got numbers numbers limitations? You surely have numbers limitations. We do indeed, yeah. So we are limited to 100 people. So we have asked that anyone attending tonight email us on notanevyroosh at gmail.com to let us know that we're coming so we can stay fully COVID compliant. Mm. Also, we are asking everybody... Do you want people to wear a mask at the meeting? Yes. Yes, yes, we are asking everybody to wear masks. Even though it's outside, it is a big gathering of people, so we would ask that everyone stay socially distanced and wear their masks. Oh, sorry. And oh, so it's outside. I, oh, it's outside. I was worried for a second. Yeah, right. No, not at all. No, no, no. We're very good like that, PJ, out here. Um, no, it's outside, but we would still ask that people wear their masks just to be to okay. be sure because it is a big gathering, but we will stay with under the 100 so people. So give me that, that address again that you want people to go to because I missed yeah. it. Yeah, it's uh, no to navy route at gmail dot com is the email address to let us know if you're coming, and it's on in Whitechurch and Waterloo Community Centre at eight pm. Okay. No to navy route, all one word at gmail dot com. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, I have no doubt that it's one we'll keep coming back to. We've been on mm-hmm. t- talking about it for years. Deirdre, thanks very much. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. If you want to go to that meeting tonight, send an email. To that address, no to Navy Route. The four, just all one word, no to Navy Route at gmail.com. 1850-715-996. Kevin says, I don't ever see this happening in my lifetime. I don't either, to be quite honest with you. Kevin, uh, this idea came out. Ah, it's around now long. Tis as long, tis as old as myself, this idea at this stage. But it never seems to happen. Go back to that CSO survey that we were talking about earlier on. 
It's called the Pulse Survey, where they basically took the pulse of the nation uh, over a period of time. 10,000 people answered the survey, which is a pretty good a pretty good cross-section and a pretty good sample size. And some of the stuff they came up with was 64% of women said that they are mostly responsible for the household chores compared to 12% of men. And that 62% of men said they are responsible for the home and garden maintenance compared to 15% of women. Now, what I'd throw in there is surely the garden and the maintenance of the garden and all of that. Surely that's a household chore. Just like loading and emptying the dishwasher is a, a household chore. Would you not agree? But we were just asking people, like, does that is that pretty typical? That everything just gets, you know, divvied out. He does his stuff, she does her stuff, there's a bit of crossover, and everyone's kind of happy. And there's the occasional row because you left your socks on the landing, and... Then you go away and you go, well, hang on a second now, the garden's nearly in, into the kitchen. Do you want me to cut that or pick up? And you know that kind of crap that people go on with. Ellen, when I was a young mom in my 20s, my husband was working 12 hours a day. I couldn't ask him to do any housework. I was working 10 hours a day. We got a housekeeper then every Friday. People's jobs are stress- stressful. Cut back on what you spend on drink and socialising and use that to cover a housekeeper. My daughter and her partner both have stressful jobs in the UK. They have a laundrette up the road that comes and collects the washing and return it folded for 30 quid. She doesn't even have a line yet. I love that idea, Ellen. Everybody should have, I always say, everybody should have an Anna. We have an Anna. She's a lovely lady, lovely Polish lady. She comes and takes the ironing. Uh, because we both hate it. Well, the missus isn't bad at it, but I can't do it at all. Everybody should have an Anna, and she doesn't cost that much money either. Um, Delina, it says, I'm used to doing everything, housing, clean, laundry, not because my husband refuses, because I feel it isn't done properly, so I need to do it myself. Over 15 years of marriage, of spoiling him, he doesn't do much. That's my fault. My oldest daughter would help me, uh, but she's not doing it my way. So the last few years, I just tried to look past it and let her help me as I'm exhausted and I'm working full time. Well, there's a thing, Delina. Your way might not be the only way. Is that, actually, is that, a, is that a, a thing that comes up in the house? Like, I want... Okay, the kitchen floor needs a brush and a mop, all right? So you can do it or your partner can do it. But... Does it have to be done one way or the other way? Is your way not as good as their way? Is it your way or the motorway kind of thing? That causes rows in every house. Guarantee you. Oh, I know. Mags, yeah, it's pretty much 50-50. We chip in and everything gets done. Uh, you forgot the third option. What about the wife who does the garden and the household chores? Paul says, I work and then I come home and I cook the dinner every day. I cook breakfast at the weekend and clear up. And I do the outboard bits. My wife does the washing, the ironing and cleaning. And we get our daughter to do bits and bobs too when she can. That's from Paul. Carla says, and this is true, let's be honest, everyone should know how to do all the chores. At some stage in your life, you're going to be single or separated. Your partner will be away working. And everyone in a couple should practice doing all the chores as a result. Yeah, I agree. And to my eternal shame, I was 40 before I properly knew how to use a washing machine. 
I'm serious. I hadn't a clue. To which she said, hang on a second now. You can program Sky. You can have tellies going in four or five rooms of the house. You're brilliant with the Wi-Fi. All that technical stuff. And yet you can't run the washing machine. So, by God, it was nearly bet into me. Something else that came up in that um, CSO survey, and I liked it, is pets. I didn't bring it up with the statistician earlier on, but they said more than half of people who were surveyed, and bear in mind 10,000 people took this survey, 52% said they have a pet. 28% have a dog. One in four. Only 12% have a cat. Now, 28 plus 12 is 40. What do the other 12% have? How many people have dogs and cats? Do you know what I'd love to do for the rest of the programme, Fergal? And I haven't told you this now, so he's going to kill me. Do you have a pet? Do you have a cat or a dog? Do you have cats and dogs? Just do you have a pet? Would you be without your pet tomorrow? One in five... This is a brilliant finding of the survey because we talked about it over the pandemic. One in five people with a pet got that pet into the house since the start of the pandemic. And I don't know how many times I've said it here. When I go home in the evening and the head is melted and it's been a hard day and the statistics are upsetting and the news is dark and the stuff is closed again. The... What has brought me through this pandemic, other than, look, the bosom of my family. But one of the things that has brought me through this pandemic is time with my dogs or my cats. But dog, your cat doesn't give a shite. Your dog cares. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Time with my dog, particularly Harry, the white fella. I love that little dog. And when I've had a rough day, he just looks up and goes, I don't care. I'm here. You know, and the relationship with your dog and your cat, whatever. Um, They said 87% of people who took the survey said their pet has a positive impact on their mental health. Here's a question for you. Let's throw this out there. I believe firmly, this is just me, a house is not a home without a pet. Would you agree with me? See what you think. Just for fun, for the rest of the program. Would you? A house is not a home without a pet. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96 FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the programme. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Hidden Hearing, tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96FM. We're at the cottage. Kevin says, I've only watched two episodes. I wasn't living here when it happened, so this is all new to me. Well, Kevin, when you've seen it all, I'd love to get your take on it and see what you think of the story because yeah for a lot of people the material is not particularly new it's just been all stitched together in a very creative way by by Jim Sheridan 
Uh, Richard wanted to compliment me on the interview with Jim. Thank you very much. I'll come back to this because George is holding. And yesterday, George's phone uh, was having uh, a very bad day. Uh, very bad day at the office for George's phone. So we said we'd try again because what he wanted to say was important. George Patterson uh, was involved in those wonderful uh, art gifts that took place around town last weekend as part of the Midsummer Festival where an artist just turns up the front garden and starts to perform for you. Wonderful idea. All free and all done by the Midsummer Festival. And it was... I, were, George, were, were there your first gigs as such in months and months? Good morning. Oh, they were, yes. Uh, I, was, um, I was saying yesterday that it was, um, uh, it was like a crash course in getting back into gigging again. One of the things about being a musician or singer, as I like to call myself... Can you get up close to it again? Just, just, yeah. Is it still being troublesome? Much better. No, it's just a bit muffled, so... Okay. Um, Go for it. One of the things about being um, a singer or uh, a musician is it's it's the waiting for the next gig. There's always, it's always like, if you're waiting to go back to working, whether that gig is the next day or a week away or... um, or oh, it's a year away. I mean, you could have, I could, you could, you could book a gig that you're not certain about and what's going to be the outcome of it, and it's, a, it's in a year's time, and uh, you find that bang, it's there. All of a sudden, it's gone, and um, it's all been dealt with. Um, so what this did was every hour, uh, every hour we did a gig. Uh, it was just me and my guitar, and um, uh, singing songs for them. Not songs, not roaring forty songs, but just you know other songs. Uh, just to cheer them up, and I found that, like, didn't it? It was like it was like getting back into um, gigging again. You know, the next, the next gig, the next gig. Yeah. How much do you miss away. it, George? Um, well, um, I, I do miss it. Once, what I mean, like, I miss it now. Now that I did that last week, uh, it was um, it was so it was so much fun that it sort of reinstilled it all into me again. So, um, so I do miss it. I am looking forward to something happening. I think we've got some. We, we have bookings, um, but um, whether they're going to come to fruition, I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, they're booked, but anything can happen in the next half hour. Sort of thing, you know? Yeah. How how hard has that been though to to watch? I suppose. Look, and you know, we're all for public safety here, and we're all for we're all for following the science. But the, the music, the music, and musicians—they were the first to go. And it looks like they'll be the last back. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, isn't that historical, though? The, the, the musicians were always the ones that just sat in the corner and played. It's like, you know, it's like the court jesters, really. Now, if you don't please them, they, 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 they have you beheaded. Uh, so it's like we are, we, we do sit in that category. The entertainment field is the sort of last thing to come back because, because it got, especially in this particular situation, because of course it's gathering, we gather people together. Yeah, you know, and, uh, and 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 that of course is exactly what we don't want to be doing. So yes, uh, same with pubs. I think they're doing fantastic, sterling jobs. The pubs, uh, yeah. the way they're uh, the way they're handling that. They've been back once. They've spent a load of money. Been back once. Yeah. Set it all up, and then and then taken back off the market again. Yeah, uh, I, I'm led to understand that they were looked after okay. No, because it had such, such There's been a lot of grants and a lot of a lot of stuff yeah. like that, but they're worried then about having to pay back that later on. George, I'm going to leave it there with you for no reason other than time, because the, and the line isn't the, isn't the best. But George Patterson from uh, the Roaring Forties and many other bands and many other musicians just aching.
to get back out there entertaining. And you, you, you've got to feel their pain. They're aching to get back out do, out there doing what they do. Because doing it online, and George and, uh, and, and his lovely wife have been doing gigs online, and they're fun. They're kind of karaoke gigs over the last uh, few months, and they're fun, but they're not the same. They're just not the same, and uh, the sooner we can get the, the live music out there and up and running, the better. In fact, I'll be talking in a minute about the, the Listoon Varna Festival, which has been cancelled yet again. And that's, yes, it's matchmaking. Yes, it's about dating and matchmaking, but Listoon Varna is much more than that. I happened to be there one day in the middle of the festival. That is a few years ago now, and I just happened to pass through it. It is, it's, it's demented. It's demented, and dating is only a part of it, and matchmaking is only a part of it. But it's off again, and we'll catch up on that one in a wee while. Uh, just staying with the murder at the cottage, Bear, I just listened to your piece with Jim Sheridan. While I understand it was his take and his story of what's happened to Sophie, I think he comes across as sympathetic to Ian Bailey. It wasn't an investigative documentary, and lots of other details and witnesses were omitted. I read the book written by Nick Foster, Murder at Roaring Water, before watching Jim Sheridan's show, and it's far better, an investigative book and worth reading. I totally recommend the book or listening to the West Cork podcast. Well, I read that book, but I read it twice. I read it once for the show uh, before I was interviewing Nick, and then I read it afterwards, much more slowly and much more carefully. And you're right, it is, as Gay Bourne used to call things like that, a thumping good read. It's a fine, fine read. Uh, but I would, I, I still liked Murder, or Murder at the Cottage very, very much. Although Stuart Nielsen says, Hi Stuart, a sickening rehash of the same old prejudices by the same old hacks for the sake of rubber neckers in need of another corpse. Okay then, I think you didn't like it. 1850715996 on the M20. Oh, I'll get to them after this. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Take out your cassette tapes and Walkmans. We'll go back in time with a throwback Thursday quiz. Got a smart speaker for you to win. All your favourite tunes to get you through the afternoon. See you from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM. <laughs> <laughs> some people are even I tell you something Some they, you can't say a word some people are even cross with me now because I said a house is not a home without a pet oh I'll get to those comments but yeah let's let's touch base with Sharon Kenny the matchmaker matchmaker to talk about the, the list to Varna Festival because I guess look two years in a row is cancelled now it's it's much more than matchmaking but that's that's the basis of it morning Sharon Good morning, but uh, can I tell you, talking about pets, our dash hound had four puppies last night. Oh! So I am like... Without, little little I, wiggly sausages. Oh, oh. Literally the length of your finger. You know, that's oh. how small... Yeah, yeah. So um, needless to say, I'm very proud. So, no, I didn't give birth to them, but I feel like I did. <laughs> the pattern of lots of tiny feet then. <laughs> 
absolutely. And I absolutely think there is nothing like a pet mm. to get people's emotions out. And we're, and, and it's all about love. Yeah. And when you learn to love an animal and, and cherish an animal, like to see my sons and they're 19 to 25 and then uh, rushing, uh, rushing to see the puppies and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, oh, just there's nothing like a pet in a house. I'm delighted that you think that way. <laughs> Liston Varna gone for second year in a row. I was making the point, Sharon, there was a time when you just went to Liston Varna to see could you meet a mate, as it were. Now it's much more yeah. than that. Now it's much more than that. And people go and um, and it's like a music festival, everything in one, and it's gone. And people were looking forward to that and they were saying, well, at least there's um, Liston Varna and, you know, to get out there and socialise with other people. And they realise, okay, they don't have to do that now or they can't do that now, so what do they do? And so it really is about getting your own act together and being happy in yourself and learning how to do it. And you need to uh, just take that step and get outside your door and say, I'm going to go on a date. And it could be just have a nice lunch and... There's this thing called FODA now, fear of dating again. It's absolutely desperate. It's just that people have got so used to their own company that they're not making the effort to go out and do that two-meter walk, even if they haven't had the vaccine. And, you know, the vaccine is there. I've just had mine yesterday, Mm. you know, my second one. And just... Get out there and start getting on with your life. Yeah. Instead of putting your life on hold. That statistic, those CSO stats that I was featuring this morning, and I I, I was quite sad reading them, That and particularly lone parents. Now, I know they're just just one category. But in general, a proportion of people who live alone, people who live alone feel very lonely 17% of the time. But lone parents... You know, they're feeling very lonely nearly 60% of the time. There's nothing to stop them trying to get out there again and meet someone, even if it's only for friendship. Oh, absolutely. And and their attitude is, who'd help me? You know, there's, uh, there's... people out there and, they, and they're absolutely gorgeous because, but because they're around kids all the time and they've forgotten how to have conversations again and how to get to the basics of conversations they just say oh do you know what I'll just I'm happy enough like change is the hardest thing in our lives to make those little changes so if your one little change is just going for a walk with a friend and say see you can't even say listen let's meet that guy we met in because it's so hard to sit down as a table now for more than four people or else you know it's it's even hard it's mm. even difficult now but try I do think people should try online dating um, now obviously in their, if they're in jobs that um, and, and there are ones that are free and if they're in jobs that they can't be seen online obviously a lot of those people come to me um, the matchmaker but you can try online dating for free and then to get your mojo back all you have to do is to get out for that walk start feeling and saying to yourself um, I am fantastic I am enough I am such a good catch and by doing that you can change your thoughts which will change your beliefs Mm. which will put you in a positive form of action it all goes back to our thoughts and our ideas what we think about ourselves how you present yourself how you how you feel about yourself is how others will feel about you I think you were really looking forward to Liston Varna this year were you I was 
always looking forward to going down there and giving. I go down and I'd give people advice on what they're doing wrong and what they're doing right, and I'd meet people who kind of are making mistakes and tell them how to chat up a girl right and uh, in the right way and, and and actually teach people not to be vulgar. There's a lot of vulgarity down there as well and it's just because of too much drink. So <laughs> if, uh, it is like, you know, this, the male the testosterone gets out of control and um, they need to just take it back and they, the guys wonder why didn't I meet a girl down there? I really made an effort because they got too drunk. That's why. And it's, it's always the same reason. I don't know. I I'm coming to you because I didn't meet someone in List and Varna. Well, you've got two out of your head. So, you know, control <laughs> yourself and appreciate yourself and love yourself. Um, so what you're saying there, PJ, you know, it, it's the connection that people miss and they're afraid of rejection. So they're getting into that fear place of what if someone rejects me? Do you know what? If they reject you, they're not for you. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's it. They're not for you. And the next one might be for you. So just to be happy to realize he's out there or she's out there and I might have to go on a few dates. Um, when you, Don't bother go on dates unless you do a video call first or a, a chat first because you get closer, you build a better bond when you talk to someone before question, the date. Question actually, Sharon, has all of this technology made dating easier or more difficult? It depends. For a lot of the players, it's made it a lot easier. For the lot of the people who really want that one-on-one connection, it's made it harder for them. It, you know, it's it, people who are private and people who want to keep their story. You know, not not be flaunting that down the country it's harder because they don't want the neighbours to know their business and there's too much. Who gives a damn? You're single. If you're online dating, you're single. You're allowed to do that. So just go and do it. But um, a lot of people are saying, oh no, I might jump bump into so and so two farms down and it'll be I'd be mortified. What? He knows you're single. She knows you're single. Mm. Don't be afraid of those things. You know. Sharon, um, if, so, any, if anybody wants to contact you for more information or advice, your website yeah. is what? Thematchmaker.ie. And actually, there's a blog on there. Read the blog, how to get out there dating, how to get your act together and be happy in yourself. And that's number one. All right. And don't accept uh, red flags. Don't accept people who aren't bringing the true themselves mm. to the table. Don't accept less than you know you deserve. Absolutely. All right, Sharon, always good to talk to you. Sharon Kenny, the matchmaker. No Listoon Varna this year, but you can still contact someone like Sharon for for advice. And that's a new one now on me, I have to say. FODA. FOMO, FOMO we know now is part of parlance, common parlance, fear of missing out. FODA. Fear of dating again. If there is anybody listening to me that, you know, has been single for a long time and coming out of the pandemic now and getting out there socialising again. Are you nervous about dating again? Would you know the first thing the first thing to do if you wanted to date someone? Uh, congratulations again to Sharon and the little baby Dashuns, the little tiny four-legged sausages that arrived into her life in the early hours of the morning, which brings me back to our pets question. I put it to you, I put it to you that there is... A house without a home, uh, without a pet is, is not a home. Owen says, with two dogs and one cat, I couldn't be without our pets. The best 
positive mental health energy going. It must be difficult for people renting who can't have pets like they have in European countries. Everybody should be able to have a pet. Helen just says, I love my cat. Yeah, I love my cat. It's a totally different relationship, though, between cats and dogs. Your, your, dog, your dog will die for you. Your dog will lay down their lives for you. Your cat will kill you and eat your eyes. This is true. Neve says, hi there, I have three cats. They've lived in four different countries with me. Spain, Saudi, Bahrain, and now Ireland. I'd never be without them. Vanessa, yes, I have two dogs. I wouldn't be without them. A pet definitely makes a home. Bernie, I agree 100%. I share a dog with another person. The dog's name is Holly. I have a fridge magnet that reads, what a beautiful world it would be if people had hearts like dogs. Uh, I-96, no, a house is definitely not a home without a pet. Sandra disagrees what I said, that your cat actually doesn't care. Well, look, <laughs> I, I, I have two cats. I love them dearly. They're wonderful, wonderful creatures, but they don't give a sugar. I disagree, says Sandra. My cat always comforts us when we're upset, especially one of my daughters. He grew up with her. They have a really different connection altogether. They have Sandra. And that's the people who say, oh, I hate cats. It's a different relationship. It's a different relationship. Josephine says, Morning, I would not be lost without my dogs and cats. My dog, Maud, who's a springer, lovely dog, is joined to my hip. She keeps me fit. She walks me. <laughs> I even talk to my three dogs and I kiss and cuddle them. They give me a sense of worth. But if anyone knows me, I'm a pure animal lover and so outdoors. It's nice to bring up the subject. Thanks, PJ, and everyone at 96. There's a thing, and I it came up on Twitter one night and I said, Well, well why wouldn't you? Uh, when you're leaving the house, this is daft. I know this is daft. I know this is daft. Fergal is shaking his head outside going, what is he on about? Uh, when I leave the house, do you, do, you, do you, when you leave the house, do you say, I see you later to the dog? See you later? Or do you just go over and, because I leave the house in the morning or whatever time, I go over, the two dogs are in their basket having been out for their morning commune with nature and they're back in their basket for another snooze when I go out. And I go over to the two of them and I pat their heads and see you later, lads. I do, every morning. You know, I don't see my wife before I leave the house. I don't see my son before I leave the house. But I'll make sure I say I'll see you later to the dogs. Corks 96 FM's free speaker frenzy. With Blackpool fully opened up, it's great to be back. See blackpool.ie. You want it? I never felt this good. Sunshine from Dario G on Corks 96 FM. Right, I'm going to line one. Now, whereabouts are you, Nicole? Hiya, I'm in work at the moment. <laughs> okay, where do you live? Uh, Toker. Toker, and where's work? Um, uh, Care Choice Nursing Home. Ah, good place. And are you busy? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm after dusting out the side now, so I'm All okay. right, okay, popping out for two minutes. What words do I need to hear from you? Play Corks 96FM. Play Corks 96FM. Latest winner on free speaker frenzy. I'll put you back to Fergal there and we get more details off you. That's Nicole Murphy, our latest winner on free speaker friendly on Corks 96FM. Another one in the afternoon with Simon. Another one with Lorraine in the evening time. And remember, uh, listen across the day to win. You just listen for your cue to call and we call you back. Repeat that phrase. It's free speaker frenzy with Blackpool fully opened up. Great to be back. See blackpool.ie and Keep listening to win only on Cork's 96 FM. Now, this day week, it is this day week, I think, or is it Wednesday, uh, July? If you're into breakfast cereal, who isn't like? 
into breakfast cereal and you want to try your hand or try some classics, there's a most unusual opportunity to do it down at Dwyer's on the 1st of July, which is, yes, this day week. A pop-up cereal bar. Ah, what? Chris, good morning. Chris Weldon. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What have you got down there? Uh, well, do you know what? We actually teamed up with um, Billy from the Crunchy Hut down in the Marina Market. He's doing, he's doing uh, nice cereals and retro American cereals down there. And we did something similar ourselves a few years ago, um, which worked out really, really well. So he has the likes of Lucky Charms, Fruit Loops, Captain Crunch, all the kind of retros that you wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have normally got yeah. growing up in Ireland. Um, so we've teamed up with him, a nice good fella. He does nice porridges. He does gluten-free options, smoothie bowls, iced coffees. Uh, we do walk-ins on the day for it. But just something a bit fun for people in the city on Thursday next week on the 1st of July from 10 in the morning until stocks last. What, what's, what's about the most popular of those ones you mentioned, the classics like the Lucky Charms and the Puffs and all that? Do you know, when we did it a few years ago here, the Lucky Charms, the Fruit Loops and the Captain Crunch, those three were probably the most popular ones we did. You'd be hitting um, the four walls from sugar, though, for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, you, you will, you won't, I suppose. I mean, most cereals nowadays aren't as sugary as they probably were back when, when we were growing up. Yeah. Um, um, but, like, you know, we, we have options there for people. We have, uh, obviously, low-fat milk on the day for people. If they want to get a bit crazy, they can do banana milk and chocolate milk and strawberry milk. Cool. They can they can do a pick-and-mix, so they can have half Captain Crunch, half Lucky Charm. They Lovely. can do some smoothie bowls. They want something a little bit healthier. So there's plenty of variety for people there on the day. And as I said, it's just a bit of fun. And I think I think everyone is just looking for and, something different and to do. And you know, the forecast and, is looking good. This day next week looks like yeah. a lovely sunny morning. What time do you start? So from 10 o'clock, uh, we'll be open. Until um, stocks last. Until stocks last. Right. So, so Billy's got a, a good bit of stock on the day, so we're looking we'll, forward to it. We'll mention it again between this and that, but I'm really gone. Time is up against me. Chris Weldon from Dwyer's. That'll be fun this day week, the 1st of July. And that's it. Edited by Fergal Barry, produced and researched by Maurid. To see tomorrow, Friday, just after 9. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.